Oh my God, Tim, this is amazing. Tuesday Night Podcast. This is episode 123, the podcast all about the stories we make while playing the games we love on, around, and even under the gaming table. I'm talking card games, board games. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you know what I'm talking about. But I have a guest with me that isn't Tim Flowers. It's not Tim Powers. It's Tim Flowers. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. I've spent many of nights with you. In yeah. a hotel room. Yeah. And I don't it mean. Was, yeah. They, they were they were special. They were special. We've had some amazing conversations, and that's why I'm really excited to have you on here. Not only do we currently have a Kickstarter going on, but I think some people may know you as a game designer. For instance, Paperback, Hardback, Fugitive, Burgle Bros, Now Boarding, Walkstar way back in the day. What am I missing? No, that's that's pretty much it. I didn't say fugitive, did I? Did I already say fugitive? You you got it. Oh, I even got (laughs) nice. Today, Tim, what I want to talk about is more about you. So our listeners or knaves, as we call them, feel more comfortable with who you are. I also want to knight someone, which is where a listener sends in their audio submission of their own story. And if it's good enough, if we as nobles, if we think the audio submission is good enough, we can knight them. And then the topic of the episode, disgusting times that revolve around games. So if you have any stories with the topic disgusting, maybe we'll get into that. But first, let me hear your digital audio resume, if you will. Like, who's Tim Fowers? Why should we care? Uh, Okay. About 10 years ago, I decided to start making games. Kind of did the normal, like, you know, go get a degree in something irrelevant like physics. And then (laughs) go get it. Go get a go get a nice job. Do you have a degree in physics? Yeah. What kind of degree? Are we talking bachelor's? Are we talking there's master's? What is it? It's like applied physics, something, something. Okay. But yeah, and then got a job programming that I was not good at. Um, <laughs> and then you know along the way, I'm just following kind of two different tracks. I was really engaged with discovering you know the whole Euro game scene and what board games had done, and also I was really inspired by the indie video game scene. Raid and a lot of World of Goo, a lot of these early indie games were coming out and just really showing everybody how even with a small budget and a small team, if you're clever, that's really what counts. Yeah. So that, that kind of got me inspired and then me and a buddy were like, hey, we're going to, let's, let's enter a contest. All right, let's do it. And we found out about it late. And so we made a video game in like two months. And it was like a full networked real-time strategy game involving pirates, ninjas, zombies, and robots. What? That's amazing. What's the name of this thing? It's called Ink Wars. It was very much a 80s tribute, Trapper Keeper. It's this RTS that's on a cube. And you draw on the cube. This is before iPhone. So it was just a PC game. You draw it to make the route for your different units. And you just did a little skirmish thing. But we got the networking running and whatnot. We got second place in the contest. And we were pretty jazzed. Over the next couple years, we did crazy stuff to try to make that dream happen having our families move, move to Kentucky and basically live in poverty for a couple of years. 
Jeez. It was crazy. It was a little nuts. But out of that, I got my got my stripes. Got decent game design for a few years. Us making video games kind of spun down. In that craziness, I started making Walkstar. I ended up uh, at Amazon as a game designer there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Amazon is in the huge Amazon company. They hired game designers? Are, they have several game studios. We were their first. What? I was I was hired to work on new games and kind of tech demo type games for the Fire Phone, which is another fun Google experience. <laughs> and some others. I mean, so it was fun there. And then eventually my board games started to spin up. It's one of those ones where I have to make stuff. I don't really fit in a company in the sense that even when I was back at my horrible programming job, I was still trying to do new and clever things and, and innovate. When you're in a company and you keep going to your manager or your boss, and you're like, oh, I got this great idea. It's like, looks like this. And they just pat me on the head and like, you, you keep being you. You just, you keep coming up with those ideas. You and, rascal. You know, they never do them. And that just would kind of wear on me. And so board games really became the outlet when I was at Amazon. They had this brainstorming day that they just kind of used to dink around and come up with ideas. And I started to hijack it to be like, hey, Tim's got a prototype, let's play it days. So they were super nice to me that way. And it wasn't against my non-compete, so I started spinning up board games. And the work environment kind of got less and less enticing as Amazon's directions changed. And my board games just did better and better. Two and a half years ago, I jumped ship. Moved to Utah, got a lot of family here, and cost of living's great, so went full-time. And then since I've been out here, I've done Fugitive, then I teamed up with a guy named Jeff Beck, and we made Hardback and Paperback Expansion. Word Domination. Yes. So I kind of mentored him through Word Domination, and then I'm like, ah, you know, I, I've got some ideas for Paperback, but do you want to take the Paperback Expansion and kind of run with it? Hardback kind of came out as a result. For the uninitiated, Hardback is a deck building game that uses words, so the cards have letters on them. Therefore, you're creating words and then that gives you currency so you can buy more letters so you can make more words that give you more currency so you can eventually buy victory points. Was that a fair elevator pitch? Yeah, yeah. So I kind of have two deck building word games now. One is more like Dominion and more, one is more like Star Realms or uh, like Ascension. Yes. It's a little weird to try to sell that to people at conventions now. Because I just pitched paper. Back. Did I say hardback? Well, they, it actually, your, your pitch is valid for both of them. <laughs> okay. It's one of those ones where, you know, you make a new iPhone, but it's not a superior in every way. It's just like a different iPhone. And now you're competing with yourself. I figure it's better for me to make the next iteration than somebody else. Yeah, they call that cannibalization in the biz, I've heard, where you don't want to make a game that's too similar to one of your other games because it directly takes away profits from the other. Have you experienced that? Can you reveal what's going on behind that curtain? Is that true? Not yet, but hardback's still taking off. Paperback has already had a way long life. It came out in 2013. Nice. And and the sales are still really strong. So, you know, paperback is down, but it's hard to tell if it's cannibalization. Yeah. Here's my other question for you, Tim. This is a whole nother conversation. What is the name of your company and why? Oh, have I, have I given you the story? I have not heard the story from you, not from the horse's mouth. I've just heard of it, and I thought, that's pretty brilliant. Well, so for a long time, I didn't have a company name or a company logo. I, I don't know. I, I have a lot of different philosophies in how I ship and package and market. But the brand, I figured it was just noise, especially when it's like, I'm Crazy Weasel Games, and now you have to remember me as a designer and the name Crazy Weasel. Um, <laughs> right. You know, and it, and it, there's even guys that are just like, oh, I don't care if I make money on my first Kickstarter, as long as they know my 
my brand until you've got like five games like they don't know who you are but it was getting to the point where what do they call my booth at conventions i want to do something that was going to be around i was here in utah and and we were going to a a cowboy thing because a lot of my relatives are cowboys like legit cowboys is in that they're ranch hands and they herd cattle they race paint horses and do a ton of taxidermy and generally are amazing artists. Wow. And then I have a bunch of uncles that are weekend warrior cowboys. They like horses and like to go hunting. Whatever. So I'm around that. I grew up on a dairy farm. I decided to kind of adopt my family brand. Like we have a registered brand called the Fowers Brothers. And it was my grandfather and his two brothers had this dairy farm and they need to register a brand. And it's like a backwards B on an F. And I just thought it was really cool because we we sold out of the dairy in 85. We were kind of economically forced out of the situation. And it was it was kind of sad. And I also kind of did it for my dad, who feels responsible for that. And so we've kind of reinvented it. So if you go to Fowers.net, me and my brothers have kind of readopted the Fowers brothers because there's four of us. And we're all in kind of different domains. And so we're kind of using that that brand. Is it an LLC, that brand? No. No, it's still it's still a registered cattle brand. My cousins use it. As in, there are some cattle with this logo burned on their ass. Maybe. It'd probably be horses. But yeah. Gotcha. But yeah, like my brother's an architect, and so he uses it in his uh, architectural stamp. Stuff like that, you know? And so I decided to make the, the BF logo my company logo, because it's like, okay, this is something that's classic and Family tradition, man. That's awesome. That has way more of a story to it than a typical company logo, like the dinosaur and pandasaurus and whatnot. Like that has a story to it. I like it. So the official name of your company then is? It is Powers Games, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Powers Games. That's great. I do get calls constantly to see if we have PlayStation games from locals. I've heard a story from more than one board game retailer where individuals have walked in, actually picked up some of the board games and have asked, what council do these go to? Thinking that inside is a cartridge or CDs or thinking they're PC games, that there's this cultural of video games that's so strong that some people don't even know what board games are. That blows my mind that I've heard that story more than once. Wow. Crazy. Okay. Then, yeah, we Crazy. have, a way, then we have our, our work cut out for us. We do. I think it's growing and booming and because that was over a decade ago that I heard these stories. And I think a lot has blossomed in the last decade in our industry. I'm saying our industry, like we have ownership of it. But you have a Kickstarter going on. And this is perfect because last episode, I was at Protospiel Cleveland. And this is a convention where wannabe game designers come in and they get their games play tested. And the hopes that some publishers might be there as well, they can show their games to and kind of get picked up. I got started at Protospiel Ann Arbor in 2009. No way! Yeah, that's when I got started with Walkstar. I was there too. I was there. Man, I don't remember seeing you. The first time I remember seeing you is when you were selling Walkstar. I believe it was Gen Con, not Origins. When I talked to you, you were still really heavy into the video game market. You're like, yeah, this is just a little game, blah, 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 blah. And I remember being super affable, super easy to talk to. Years later, you had grown and grown because like Walkstar had come and gone and it changed publishers at some point. 2009, Alex Yeager was like, hey, this is this game's great. And he's like, can I take a copy? Oh, yeah. And can you not show it to anybody else? And I'm like, 
Oh, you're you're Mayfair, awesome. Like nine months later, they still hadn't given me a yes or a no. The family who ran Mayfair was I don't know, they just they they weren't really trying. Origins was coming up, it wasn't far away. And I'm like, I'm gonna do this. And so I had about two months, because that's my normal timeline to get anything done. So I ordered boxes, I assembled all in my house. I'm like, I'm gonna do a hundred copies and take it to Origins. Took it there, sold out. It went great. And that was that was the beginning. Yeah, I came around to your booth to buy Walkstar and you were sold out. And I heard that they were made by hand and whatnot. Super cool. So that's when I first met you. Then that fall, I ended up signing with Z-Man. A year later, got bought by Philosophia. And they still sat on, on Walkstar. And they're like, no, 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 we're going to do it, going to do it. And they're like, okay. And we had, you know, we had balanced and it was kind of working. And they're like, okay, uh, we're just going to do one thing. We're just going to change it to be uh, to be anime. Because we think that'll do better in the European market, and I'm like, what? And and <laughs> and and also just because I was just like I was like done. I'm just like this is you guys are stupid. So uh, it, my, it had been two years. That was that was the clause. And so I walked away, and they were just shocked that I walked away from a publisher. And I'm like, well, then you're not going to do this to somebody else in the future. Then I walked right into Game Salute. Here we go, the Game Salute story. Mostly, they just took too long and then lied about it in Kickstarter updates saying that everything was fine. People just got really upset. They were already upset with them, but basically they just were late and not really transparent about it. So it finally came out, but didn't really hit. And also I kind of oversimplified it in the second edition. I, I'm like, I wanted it to be super casual. And so I just got the rights back and I'm, and I'm doing a third edition. It's a little crunchier, but kind of more closer to the original. When can we get the third edition? What's going on? Are you taking pre-orders already? Like a month. It's wrapping up in China right now and getting on the boat. So is that the answer to your pre-order question? Can we get it through pre-order on your website? Yeah, yeah. It's it's there. Sweet. Yeah, yeah powers.games is where you get all my, all my goodies. Awesome. I talked about Protospiel. What you've got going on is not Protospiel. What's the story? What the hell is Tabletop Network? So I actually was at Protospiel San Jose because there's like four Protospiels that happen in March. I don't know what's going on, but I was in San Jose and I'm going to Unpub next weekend to promote Tabletop Network to board game designers. While we have a, a lot of great prototyping events, there aren't any events that are more seminar style. There's just not a time that you sit down and listen to talks and learn best practices about you're making games and, and the craft of making games. I've learned a ton from GDC and from Gama Sutra and the different things that come out of the video game industry. There's just no conference for this. And so I'm just like, I've been floating it for over a year. It was actually Jeff Beck's idea. He's like, why, why didn't we have oh. a conference? And so we finally just got off our butt and started doing it. And we're just like, okay, it's gonna be June. It's gonna be in Salt Lake. And we want it to be nice. So we're doing it up at a ski resort, but it's gonna be awesome and green in the summer. Um, it looks gorgeous. It's going to be it's going to be really nice. It's it's really pretty. Um June the flowers will probably be out. It's going to be nice. So the idea is two days we get together. I pulled in a lot of favors and got a lot of people to come and speak and we still are taking submissions for speakers. We might end up with two full tracks and but we're capping the attendance at 200 because of the facility and because we just we don't want to get unwieldy in the first year because we believe this is a service to the community. We are doing a, a virtual pass where you can get it streamed, hopefully live. If we can get it live, then we're going to let the virtual people even do questions kind of through Twitter. 
but we'll see. That's you know we're, we're certainly going to record it, and we will have access to those for people that get the virtual pass. So I love this. Yeah. This is the cool thing is that with Protospiel, it's about sitting down and playing the games. Here, this is the TED talk of game design. This is the actual honing your skill, having the seminars, learning the tricks of the trade. So let me ask you, number one, what are some of the guests you have lined up? And number two, do you have a talk that you're doing and what are you going to say? <laughs> yeah. So, well, and we're even putting some rules in there saying like, okay, don't play prototypes because people will be so excited to be around with the designers like oh i gotta i gotta turn my hustle on i gotta get people to play my game no 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 just take it to the streets just calm down come come listen to a talk so we have uh our keynote is rob davio tom lehman one guest that i can't announce because his pr department doesn't want us to and we can't transmit that one so there's one talk that won't be transmitted but if you back we're going to tell the physical backers about that one. Oh. And then uh, Raf Koster, who wrote the theory of uh, a theory of fun and like design like Star Wars Galaxies and Ultima Online, you know. So I got a couple of video game people, Stone LeBrand, who did Mechs versus Minions and works for Riot. We got some some great great names. But uh, I'll get you know, again if you know somebody, let them know. We'd love to we'd love to get more in the lineup. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of gonna be the fill because we want to make sure we got really good coverage on different talks. I mean, I gave a talk at GDC um, that I really liked about looking at, at another type of media, like a book or a movie, breaking it down into emotional moments, and then figuring out how to engineer those emotions. So getting really good kind of theme mechanic synergy to kind of basically recreate movies for people. Because I mostly discovered this by accident while making Burgle, um, but I did it more intentionally with Fugitive. And so that's kind of like a process that I use. And so I want to teach people how I do that. That's awesome. I do have plenty of recommendations for people I've heard give great game design talks that have really stuck with me throughout the years. I'll just give you one now and we can do the rest off the air if you're interested. Oh, yeah. He's probably available like Uwe Eckhart from Academy Games. Oh, yeah. I know Uwe. I went to China with him. Yeah, and Uwe has a great talk. He talks about the sine curve of the dopamine release. When is board gaming experiences the best? When do we have the biochemical release? It isn't when we win. It's about the anticipation of winning. So anyways, he does a great talk and that talk alone is a good 30 oh, yeah, yeah. to 40 okay. minutes. That's great. That's great. I didn't think about that. Can you give a quick preview of something that you would like designers to know? Like, hey, if there's one thing that you should know, and this is like the teaser for if you're a designer, Get your ass to the tabletop network. This is like the appetizer. Well, I mean, the big the big sh quote that, that I'm credited with, but I don't think I came up with, that board games are software that run on people. You're creating a set of rules that are, people are going to run, you know, run in their heads. It's, it, you know, so you can't write a lot of code. It's, you've got a limited space. You've got a, a really flawed processor that's going to forget stuff and, and whatever. And it's it's really a crappy computer, but you get all this other stuff for free. You get all these kind of emergent behaviors that you don't get anywhere else, like in Two Rooms and a Boom. Oh, thank you, sir. Look at you. <laughs> I got more rant on that, but yeah. No, that's really important because I think what you said there really captures this idea that I have a hard time putting it to words. What is fun for people around the table? 
And some of it, I believe, is instinctual, almost like teaching. You can learn skills to help you be a better teacher, a better public speaker, someone to convey knowledge better. But some people just have this natural talent where they can empathize with the audience really well, knowing what would be interesting, what would be boring. What am I going on and on too much? Almost like I'm doing right now. <laughs> and so it's the same thing with games, though. How do you know when the fun is? When is it dragging on too long? And you've put to words, I think pretty well, in that we are the processors for the software, that we are flawed, we're going to forget things. So making sure that it is running smoothly and you're not going to have this user error that totally ruins the entire experience is a really good approach. I like that analogy. Well, and, and the thing that ties to that is that in a video game, you're dealing with a black box. I don't really know what this you know, this game's about, I've got a controller, I'm going to hit buttons, I'm going to see what it does. And through just kind of prodding and poking, you're building a mental model of how Mario moves and how what power-ups do and whatnot, just by, by trial and error. With board games, you can still surprise people with, with content, like you could be cards that you haven't read, but for the most part, they know everything in the game. They're running the code, they know all the code. Getting surprised in video games is pretty easy because you're like, oh, there's a rule I didn't understand. And that's kind of delightful. When a, a board game surprises you, it's often through emergence, through the rules combined in a way that I didn't see coming. And I think it's awesome. Or I found a new way to combine the rules. And because we are the processor, uh, we get delighted in a, in a whole different way. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, Friedman Freeze's lineup of games that he has where the rules are constantly changing. I'm trying to think of what they're called. Oh, dang it. They obviously all start with an F. Flea's one of them, which I heard is like the worst one of them. There's uh, Fear, Flea, and Fortress. Yes. Fabled Fruit is where you draw cards and it changes the rules. And so that's like one thing. But the core is still the same. You read the card, it tells you the new rule. And there's nothing really surprising there. It's not like all of a sudden someone's going to sneak up behind you and totally put in an escape room game where you weren't expecting one like they can in video games. Like, what the hell is this that I'm playing? It's a mini game within this bigger game. It's a really good Have point. you played Frog Fractions? Frog Fractions is amazing. Oh, my God. I love it. All right. That's, yeah. a, that's a research for the user. Absolutely. Do Frog Fractions. Ignore this next part. If you don't want too much of a spoiler, fast forward a good five seconds, a little 15 second mark on your iPhone. I didn't realize you could go down. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'll say. It took me forever. I'm like, what the hell, man? Anyway, Frog Fractions is a brilliant reference. Tim, how should they get involved with Tabletop Network? If our knights and knaves are listening to this, how much are tickets? We go on Kickstarter. Tell us what to do. Uh, Tabletopnetwork.com will get you started or Google that on Kickstarter. 55 for virtual pass and then 300 for physical pass. Got you. And that obviously doesn't include flight or room and board. That's just the ticket. Yeah, we have discounted rooms at the resort. Um, and we actually have to book a certain number of those. So we're hoping that people end up booking there. But there's like nothing nearby. So but it, I think it's uh, just over 100 a night. It's like 120, 130 a night. I'm going to be very honest about my own personal reaction to seeing your Kickstarter. First of all, I was really excited. I also was thinking, oh my goodness, I could totally submit some ideas for talks. I just did a talk on the psychology of gameplay at Shucks in Vancouver, do some talks. And then I looked, I'm out of the country at that time with my wife and her family. 
And that's also the weekend right before Origins, if I'm correct. Yeah, we have some people going right from there, here to Origins. It's last minute, but we figured we just had to do it. We weren't gonna we weren't gonna delay it anymore. We're just like, all right, we'll certainly plan further ahead next time. If I get a virtual pass and you guys do get live footage, obviously it's still archived, I'm assuming, right? So I can still watch it even after the fact. Yeah. And that's what I'm paying for is basically I now have a library I can access whenever the hell I want to of these informative game design talks. Man, that's a cheap investment for $55 for getting all these experts talking about. You can't about. afford not to. <laughs> yes, if you're a game designer. Woo! So that's the pitch. I love it. You want to knight someone? Yeah, let's do it. So we'll see if they're worthy. I have a couple of knaves. One has become a knight. Sir Delton Brack and his wife Haley, and they have since gone on and done their own podcast, Malthouse Games. And I hate to be a shill, and I wouldn't do this if I didn't mean it. It's probably my favorite podcast right now. And I shouldn't say that on my podcast, but they just talk about their time with games and they always drink beer with it and they describe the beer. I'm not even a beer drinker, but it's all about the relationship between these two. The husband of this team, Sir Delton Brack, had already been knighted. But his wife, Haley, decided she wanted to be a knight as well. Are you ready, sir? Let's do it. Hello, Tuesday Night Games, knights, knaves, madams, dames, ladies, and overall wonderful people. Today, I would like to talk about my experience as a woman at a board game convention. Gen Con 2017 was one of the most fun trips I have ever taken. I got to spend four whole days exploring new games and meeting cool people alongside my best friend slash husband. Even though Delton and I were both newbies to Gen Con, I can assure you we had some different experiences. And what differences were those, you may find yourself asking? Well, it all started on day one of Gen Con. Delton and I had already made the 13-hour drive from Oklahoma, which is an experience that only strong couples or batshit crazy ones like us can survive. <laughs> but we soon began to realize just how worth it the trip was. Three hours into the convention and Delton had spent half of his game budget already. We met so many designers and had already played half a dozen games. But just because our experience was out of this world, it didn't mean we were immune from humanly needs. We soon had to go to the bathroom. Now, being a female, I was prepared for the long lines in the ladies' room, like at any other event. But as we made our way to the facilities, we saw something strange, something I had never seen before. The men's line was out the door while there was not another soul in the ladies' room. I went in, did my business, and came out to see that Delton is still waiting in line. This was my first time in my life that a ladies' room had a shorter line than a men's room, so I did what any other wife would do in this situation. I laughed my ass off. And a few hours later, when we visited the bathrooms again, Delton had to wait in line. And again. And again. So, of course, I laughed my ass off. In fact, it wasn't even until day three that I saw more than two women in the restroom at once. Yet every time, Delton had to wait in line. This instance not only gave me a laugh, it also showed me just how much the board game industry is populated by men. But it doesn't mean it is controlled by men. There are a lot of women designers, artists, and players that bring so much life and fun to board gaming. Their dedication, creativity, and overall awesomeness helped to make board gaming a colorful and adventure-filled hobby. 
I met a lot of these awesome women last year and hope to meet even more this time around. So if you are a woman interested in board gaming, I hope you give it a chance. I wish everyone could have as much fun as I did at Gen Con, defeating a whole table of strangers at Cat Lady, sharing a beer with members of the Dice Tower Network, and taking a selfie with the TARDIS. So what is a woman's experience at Gen Con? It is definitely an experience like no other. And yes, I held Delton's bags while he peed. <laughs> what you think, Tim? It's pretty good. I like it. I also like the call to arms for women in the industry. We've been trying hard to find women game designers, and we have a couple more we're talking to. But it's been hard, um, just from a numbers perspective, finding representation on the speaker side. But but we, ha- we have a couple lined up already, and I've got a couple more uh, coming up. But I've got a friend, Barbara Allen, who is really active board gamer, and she has a Discord group called World of Women. And it's a women's only group, but it's very supportive and it's where they can, you know, relax, like not to worry about what they what they say or how they say something. Um, right. And it's been a great strength for them. So uh, it's something to, to if you're a woman gamer, go check that out. We have a very close friend of the show. She is Lindsay Road and she's a game designer. She has three games coming out this year. Pretty exciting. So I can get you in touch with her, too. But she's told me. Similar stories that Haley just said from the female perspective at Gen Con and Origins and just tabletop alike. But Lindsay has yet to even be knighted. Should we knight Haley? Do you think she deserves? Was that story good enough for top tier listeners? That was that was good. I mean, it had music. It was like it was a good story. Like it made you laugh. It was uh, yeah. I, I think it's so. good. It's good. She had. It's probably the best. I don't know. So. All right, let's do this then. I'm going to go through the whole rigmarole. Knave, approach we nobles and kneel to allow us to honor thee. We, Tuesday nights of the gaming table, applaud thee and thine heroic tale of bathrooms at Gen Con. We thank you for thy nightly contribution to this humble Tuesday night podcastle. Now rise, allow us to dub thee... Dame Haley Breck. That's what you requested. You wanted to be Dame. Dame Haley Breck of the Tuesday Night Podcast. Now rise, rise, Dame Haley, as the newest Tuesday night of the Tuesday Night Gaming Table. Yay. (laughs) This leads me to the story of the episode. When I go to Gen Con as a man and going into the men's bathrooms, Oh my, I've mentioned it in this podcast before, but that's one of the most disgusting experiences because it's like the pube fairy visits and just sprinkles pubes all over the place. I don't understand why there's so many pubes on the floor, on the urinals. It's mostly just that you need like galoshes. (laughs) That's that's kind of the bigger deal. Yeah, wearing sandals is a dangerous predicament because first of all, they're going to stick, you're going to keep walking and the sandals are going to stay put. It's a nightmare situation. (laughs) So here's the topic, Tim. Disgusting stories. Excuse me, Sam. Do you have the time? But of course, it be topic time. I can share mine and we can see if it inspires yours. Let's rewind time, if you will. We're going back 
to when I'm only 11 years old. I'm at the big 1-1 of age. I see my parents and my older brothers, they've been playing drinking games. So I wanted to play some drinking card game and I had two of my friends over, Weasel and Doug. We're not drinking alcohol because we're just stupid 11 year olds. So we're drinking apple juice. Stupid I realize because it defeats the whole purpose of alcohol making the game harder and harder to play. Even though we're just 11 years of age, we're playing the game Asshole. Not sure if you're familiar with the game Asshole, Tim, but the way it works, it's basically the Great Dalmudi. Have you ever played the Great Dalmudi? Oh yeah, yeah, a scum or president, there's, it's a, it's a All full those game. names. Yeah. yeah. So you don't want to be the lowest rank, but it's only three of us. So that's a weird way to play too, with only three players. But we're drinking apple juice and we're just having fun because we're just enjoying the card game and pretending that we're adult-like and we're pretending it's beer. Oh! But here's where it gets gross. I'm president. I have to go to the bathroom really bad because we had one of these gigantic glass gallon containers of apple juice. So I have to go to the bathroom and keep in mind, this isn't our first gallon of apple juice. We already finished off the first gallon. I'm gonna get some more apple juice since we just finished this one off. So I go to the bathroom and of course, as an 11 year old boy, I see this huge glass jar, one gallon, totally empty next to me, and I'm standing over the toilet, and as an 11 year old boy, I put one and one together, and I just start urinating, of course, into the apple juice jar. And here's the amazing thing, Tim. I kid you not. I filled that thing over halfway. Over half a gallon of urine went into this thing. As a devious little asshole kid of 11 years old, playing the game Asshole itself, I come in saying, hey, I found some. I thought we were out, but it was left out in the sunroom. So it's all warm. <laughs> Because the stuff was warm. Yeah, you thought the through it, right? <laughs> I thought through it. I had I had the time. It took me forever to pee this out. So I'm thinking, how am I going to explain how warm this stuff is? So I come in. It's in the sunroom. So I go ahead and I pour them glasses. Doug and Weasel glasses. Weasel makes a mistake. And so I could say, drink, asshole. And he takes it. He's like, man, it really is warm, he says. <sighs> and he puts the cup to his lip. And I stopped him, I couldn't do it. I said, wait, wait. And right away he looks at me and he says, this is piss, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't think so because there's so much. I thought there's no way there's piss because there's so much in the container. I couldn't go through with it. The story ends there, but it doesn't make me look good. I didn't start this story by saying, this is a great example of how nice of a kid I was. Although no matter how menacing I couldn't imagine someone drinking some of my urine. That's my disgusting story. You have anything? I, I, it's more of a contest. I can't say it was it was gaming related, but it's too funny. Mm -hmm.
So, uh, my cousins, they were teenagers and they were voracious eaters, you know, just the normal teenage appetite. They'd always eat tons for dinner. Dessert would come around and they're like, okay, well, we're having ice cream. But the rule was you couldn't have seconds of the ice cream until you finished your first. Now, there's only so much ice cream, you know, there's a real scarcity, you know, issue here. My cousin, Mike, was was eating it as, as quickly as he could. He's like, I've got a headache, and then passes out forward onto the table. Because apparently you can pass out from brain freeze. What? Yeah, it is. It is. It happened. He was out like a light from eating ice cream too quickly. So the whole thing is you want to eat as much ice cream as you can so you can eat more ice cream because the quicker you eat, the more you can eat. Okay, yep. so this guy's rushing and he passes out. That's, that's, <laughs> it's just I didn't know that, that there was that those limits of, of or that some other part of your survival mechanism wouldn't kick in before you're out cold. There's so many examples of this. Your body puts itself into a coma if the trauma's too big. Your body will go ahead and tell you to run away with its sympathetic nervous system response as soon as you're getting some type of injury. And apparently, your body just hits the light switch if you eat too much ice cream in a short amount of time. <laughs> but you, you figure, like, there probably was pain before he passed out. Like, you know, brain freeze hurts. The fact that he was powering through the brain freeze because he wanted the ice cream is is it's too good. <laughs> Amazing. Was he okay? Did he just come yeah. to oh, later yeah, he on? He came to, no long-term damage or anything. Just, you know, shame. <laughs> right. This guy can't hold his ice cream. Tim, I really appreciate your time. And thank you so much for the story. I know you got to go. You've got a whole convention to make sure it runs smoothly. Any last things you want to mention to our listeners? Uh, no, um, feel free to contact me directly at tfowers on Twitter. And uh, yeah, uh, thanks again. And if you're listening to this, you can please write in your show, send in your own Nave Tonight's mission, whatever the hell you want. Please email us, podcast at tuesdaynightgames.com. I'm Alan Girding. That was Tim Fowers. And I think with that being said, this episode is... Finished.